these two monoclonals uh, were recently studied, uh, both uh, in comparison with single monoclonal and in combination. I'm Faith Rogers, host of today's program, COVID-19, Keeping Up with a Moving Target. This is the February 10th update of DKB Med Radio's Coronavirus Educational Series. Thank you for joining us. This activity is jointly provided by the Postgraduate Institute for Medicine, DKB Med, and the Institute for Johns Hopkins Nursing. Today's program is accredited for ANCC and AAPA credit, as well as AMA PRA Category 1 credits. Please visit our website for complete CE information. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red Claim Credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Today's learning objectives are to discuss the relevance of the EUA for the new monoclonal antibody combination and describe current knowledge about efficacy of currently available vaccines against the variants first identified in the UK and South Africa. This educational activity is supported by independent medical educational grants from Gilead Sciences Incorporated, Regeneron Pharmaceuticals Incorporated, and Eli Lilly and Company, as well as in-kind support by DKB Med LLC. All activity content and materials have been developed solely by the activity directors, planning committee members, and faculty presenters. With us today, we have Dr. Paul Allwater, Clinical Director of the Division of Infectious Diseases at Johns Hopkins School of Medicine. Thank you and welcome back, Dr. Allwater. Okay, Faith, and I know we have a number of uh, questions today, and uh, you can always submit more uh, that we'll uh, try to do our best to answer in forthcoming weeks. Thank you, and our first learner question. Can you please explain the new EUA for the bamlanivimab etazivimab combination? Yes, Faith. So this is a product from Eli Lilly. Uh, some of you may have been familiar with the single monoclonal antibody bamlanivimab, which actually was the first monoclonal to have FDA EUA uh, issued for it earlier in the fall. However, there was always a concern about administering a single monoclonal antibody, and the Regeneron product, which is a monoclonal cocktail, had been thought to uh, be more effective mainly because two different targets were uh, used on the spike protein of the coronavirus, and therefore there'd be less of a tendency to have a single mutation or immune escape develop. And of course, the monoclonal cocktail was the one the president received uh, in October of uh, 2020. And so these two monoclonals uh, were recently studied, uh, both uh, in comparison with single monoclonal and in combination in uh, so-called BLAZE-1 and BLAZE-4 trials. And uh, some of that data was published in January by Gottlieb and others in JAMA and showed that uh, the combination drug seemed to reach uh, so-called virologic primary endpoints, meaning it decreased uh, virus in people who received the drug who had mild to moderate COVID-19 uh, in the outpatient arena, but 
who had uh, risk factors. So indeed, the new EUA is very similar to existing monoclonal antibodies, meaning it's people over the age of 12 with risk factors for severe COVID-19. And you do have to take it within 10 days of onset of symptoms, but probably most of its benefit is before day seven. Uh, so uh, although there's growing data regarding this, there's also concerns about the viral variants. And at least uh, the studies have suggested, especially that bamlanivimab uh, may not work very well against some of the variants, such as the one first identified in South Africa, B1357. Okay, and our next learner question is, how does taking NSAIDs directly before or immediately after vaccination affect immune response to the vaccine? Yeah, Faith, these questions aren't uh, well studied, but uh, here's some information that I think uh, can help give some guidance. There is limited data from the vaccine trials because we know uh, vaccine trial participants were allowed to take over the counter products if they felt it was necessary in response to the side effects of the vaccine. And for both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines, the efficacy rates were 94 to 95%. So it doesn't look like taking it afterwards is likely to affect outcomes. Now, uh, in terms of taking it before, I think there's a general advice from many of us in the infectious disease community and also from vaccinologists uh, that uh, you should not take the medication beforehand uh, as a prevention. Uh, rather to just take it in response if necessary. Uh, there's no formal recommendations regarding this, but I think that's probably the assembled common sense uh, recommendations at this time. Okay, thank you. Dr. Rodwater, are the current Pfizer and Moderna vaccines effective against the new variants from the UK and South Africa? The short answer is yes, at least as it appears in a limited studies. Uh, so uh, these message RNA vaccines are uh, different than others and some of their secret sauce may be indeed that these vaccines inject uh, self-replicating RNA right into muscle cells, but they're also handled uh, through follicular T cells. So there seems to be a very robust response of T helper cells, also CD8 cells. Uh, that uh, probably are part of the reasons why there's very generous antibody production against the spike protein. Uh, studies taken sera from uh, vaccine recipients have been used in uh, test tube studies to see if it still neutralizes virus, and it appears to do so sufficiently. Compared to the earlier strains uh, commonly circulating, there is a, a one to two log fold less effectiveness, but that's probably still sufficient. Of course, everyone's looking at this very closely. And indeed, even these vaccine manufacturers are taking to task uh, making a potential third vaccine that would incorporate uh, some of the genetic changes in the virus that's been identified with some of these variants that are coming about. So this is a story that will no doubt continue uh, to evolve. And of course, it's being studied quite closely. Thank you. And the next question is, what is the latest time frame to start remdesivir? So remdesivir is the only uh, new drug for COVID-19 that's fully approved by the FDA. 
So in terms of its label, it's labeled for anyone in hospital, but how many health systems and how much of the data have been assembled, it looks like it works best in the first 10 days of illness uh, and certainly before people might be ill enough to get into the intensive care unit. Um, the way the ACT-1 study was organized, uh, at least by a subgroup analysis, it was patients who required oxygen who appeared to most benefit, and uh, this is before progressing to more severe illness that might require intubation or extracorporeal membrane oxygenation. So uh, typically uh, we use this early and uh, myself, I think if I hear people are in the ICU or uh, later in their phase of illness, I, I don't think you'll get much bang for the buck for it. The exceptions might be people who have profound uh, immunodeficiencies, especially B cell deficiencies, where they can have uh, high levels of replicating virus um, uh, many days or even weeks past the uh, onset of illness. So that's sort of a unique subset. But in general, I, I really strive to uh, uh, get uh, that drug on board if people are hospitalized within the first seven days. Okay. And why do you think we have not heard more about using monoclonal antibody treatments? Yeah, so uh, Faith, this is a, a question that's been asked by many people, and I think there are probably a number of uh, answers here. Uh, the first is it's only authorized for outpatients, yet it's an intravenous therapy. So it's not something you can order uh, through the druggist. Uh, you actually have to refer people to specialized centers in most states that have the drug and infusion capabilities. And I think many of the physicians who might be in the primary care arena are just not as familiar with intravenous medications or monoclonal antibodies. So I think there is a knowledge gap uh, to some degree and uh, also some barriers in terms of getting patients uh, referred and administered on a timely basis. At least uh, most of the studies that have showed benefit and the benefits are mostly derived in outpatients, not hospitalized patients. Uh, so that's how the EUA is written. You have to be an outpatient. But uh, the treatments were administered usually by day four, for example, uh, in terms of the Eli Lilly products. So you want to infuse it early because they work as antivirals. And if you're already a week or more into illness, there's probably less likelihood you would have benefit. So there's sort of a small window that you really want to get people infused and, of course, getting people referred. It's usually not the same day. So there are many steps there. Uh, I would say here uh, in Maryland, uh, uh, there's an in increasing awareness of this and certainly for patients that might be immune suppressed or more prone to severe infections or not have immune systems that are as capable of probably uh, vanquishing the virus. Uh, the monoclonals seem to be especially apt but of course, how this fits with the viral variants is also concerning. But uh, the Regeneron product is a dual uh, monoclonal antibody. And Eli Lilly ha has just received EUA approval for its own uh, combination antibody, uh, monoclonal antibody. So at least um, you might still get some supply of a single monoclonal antibody with bamlanivimab. But over time, it will likely be that uh, only the cocktails will be available. Okay, thank you. And here's another question. Are you aware of any plans to switch to subcutaneous administration of antibodies to improve access to them? 
Yes, so this uh, question has been raised because all of the treatment trials with monoclonal antibodies uh, have been with intravenous infusion. So easy if you're in hospital, not as easy as an outpatient. Uh, uh, many uh, people who have immune deficiencies get immune globulin replacements now that are uh, subcutaneous, which avoids the need to have an IV infusion. So people have raised, why does this have to be infused IV as opposed to just injected? Because of how the trials were organized, this is how these investigational drugs have been improved. But there are trials which are still in progress and may be close to uh, concluding uh, and displaying data for prevention. So that's using monoclonals after a close contact to prevent illness. And the Regeneron monoclonal uh, antibody uh, product, casirivimab and indivimab, has that study uses sub-Q administration. So I think we'll have some information soon on the sub-Q route. I think uh, from a um, knowledge standpoint, there's no reason to think that IV is necessarily better than subcutaneous for these very small molecules, uh, but we'll wait and see soon how that data looks. Okay, and this learner asked a question, how long after treatment with monoclonal antibodies should someone receive a vaccine or after a positive PCR without treatment? Yeah, so Faith, these two questions might almost be the same if you think about it. Uh, on the one hand, uh, people are, uh, both sets of questions deal with people that already have COVID-19. So if you've had COVID-19, the current advice is to wait at least 90 days before initiating immunization. But some recent data from uh, the UK really suggests that uh, people have sufficient antibodies by and large through six months, and it'll probably be even beyond that. So how fast afterwards that you uh, have to be immunized, I'd have to say, it's not a rush. And uh, if you've recovered, uh, from COVID-19, uh, you're, you're probably protected, meaning if you're ill enough to uh, uh, have developed uh, disease and symptoms. Now, if you've received the monoclonal antibody, because of the decay rate of the antibodies, it's the same time frame, 90 days, three months, uh, before considering the vaccine. Uh, and so you'll want to wait at least that long with the idea that although we don't have information directly, we, you don't want to have the monoclonal antibodies uh, unduly binding uh, to produced S protein that might impair new antibody responses. Uh, the last thing to just mention uh, is if someone uh, got their first immunization with either the Moderna or the Pfizer, develops COVID before their second immunization, um, in those people, uh, the general recommendation is just to proceed after recovery from illness with the second vaccine. Again, this is more of a, um, I won't call it arbitrary, but this is just more of a, a recommendation without uh, clear clinical evidence to guide it, but that's the current set of recommendations. Okay, thank you. And this is our last question for the week. Do you think there may be a role for colchicine? So Faith, uh, whether colchicine has a role at the moment probably rests predominantly on a preprint uh, of a, a randomized clinical trial that uh, was performed in Canada. 
And uh, this was a large trial of 4,488 people who were randomized to get placebo or 30 days of colchicine if they have mild to moderate uh, COVID-19 with the primary outcome of death or hospitalization. So the idea is you want to avoid developing severe illness. So uh, the people that received colchicine, uh, they re reached that composite endpoint 4.7% of the time. Placebo is 5.8%. So the absolute re reduction is actually rather small of just a little over 1%. That's to me a, a small enough uh, difference between the two groups, even though at least in the preprint it was uh, statistically significant. Uh, I, I, to me, it's a slim margin, and uh, for a one percent difference in a hundred people, uh, if it were all deaths, I would say yes. But if it's avoiding hospitalization, uh, to me, the chance that this was um, uh, found without true benefit, I think, is so close as it's only. Uh, a very small reduction. So we'll see. Um, I don't think it will become a widely adopted um, uh, approach. Dr. Allwater, thank you again for those updates. If you're tuning into our webcast, please click the red claim credit button in the webinar console to attest for credit. Otherwise, please visit covid19.dkbmed.com. Any questions or issues, feel free to email us at the address listed. To submit questions, please send them to qa at dkbmed.com. That's Q as in question, A as in answer, at dkbmed.com. Again, thanks for joining us, and thank you for your dedication to your patients with COVID-19. Thanks again, Dr. Allwater. Of course, Faith. Uh, these questions are really um, very important, and uh, as those come up in your clinical practice or friends and family, please uh, send them on, and we'll be happy to do our best.